The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we sit before you here, people gathered to worship you, and we often think of that as giving to you worship, of saying things to you and, and offering up verbal praise and, and giving it some money in an offering plate. We give to you. That's how we worship. But in fact, we are receivers through and through. We give nothing back to you that we didn't first get. And in fact, it is our receiving with glad and thankful hearts that most honors you. You honor yourself as the one who gives to meet need. And we are in the season now where we remember and celebrate the greatest gift that you gave to meet our greatest need. You sent your son. And we are receivers of him. Thank you. You are so good. You are so generous. We are so needy. And we are so blessed. Thank you. We consider a passage this morning that will call us to give. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about that, we will not forget that you are generous, that you are a giver, that we are receivers, that we are blessed. It's there. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to say it and attempt to explain it. But if, Father, if you would be so pleased as to send your spirit among us now and press into us, past the intellect, pressed into some sort of of heart-level perception and grasp of this great reality that we are receivers. We who are your people, we are receivers of an infinite gift. And having received everything, we've got plenty of room to give, plenty of freedom to give, plenty of security to give. So press into us, please, Father, by your Spirit, the great truth of you as a giver and we as a receivers. And use that in part to move us to give and to grow in us thankfulness and rest and to free us from the hold of this world and the temptations that are here. Lord, it's hard. We're at a season where we celebrate Christmas and the gift of Christ, and we do that by giving ourselves uh, marvelous gifts. We are thankful for how you provide for us, but make us givers and not just receivers of the wealth of this world. Make us givers of it, givers of it. Free us from its hold. Pass it through our fingers onto those in need. And use this passage this morning. Use it towards that end, please. So we have clarity and give life to the words I'm going to say. Lord, move by your spirit and press them into us and produce change. Build a church, Lord, that is like you, generous. Help us to hear what's here to hear what you have for each of us individually and corporately this morning. 
And Lord, if there are some here in our midst who, who don't know you, would you call them to you? Would you show them your wonderful, generous nature? Make clear to them the offer that you hold out and you want to give to them. Call them, Lord. Call them in. Build up your name and honor it. Thank you. You are kind. You are good. Make yourself clear this morning. Build us up. Make us a church that is right in your eyes. That's what we want to be. That Christ would be honored in us and that we would walk in joy and with him. So make that happen this morning, Lord. Thank you. Amen. turn our attention once again to the middle of Luke chapter 12 in a passage that we first considered last week. As we looked at this lengthy passage in verses 22 to 34, we saw Jesus in the midst of a large and mixed crowd turn to address his disciples. He had been talking to the crowd at large, responding to a, a random request shouted out by, by someone in the crowd about an inheritance. Jesus heard the request and heard in it an attitude of greed, of covetousness. He heard in it that the man wanted what was rightfully his. He wanted possessions, and he heard in that greed. And he took the opportunity to warn us all, everybody who's listening, that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We can be rich on earth. We can have much possessions, many things, and completely miss true life, the life that is found in the kingdom of God, life in communion, in, in community with God himself. Earthly riches don't bring us that. that. That was two weeks ago. And then last week, as we saw, he pivoted to talk to his followers. This is a mixed group of people, and his followers are around him, so he turns and talks to them directly and addresses them on the subject of worry, anxiety, about the seeking of the basic necessities of life. So this is kind of like the other end of the spectrum. There, life isn't found in the abundance of possessions, nor is life found in having the minimum of possessions, the basic needs, food and, and drink, verse 29 there. That's not what we should seek after. That's what the, the nations, non-believers, seek after that because they think they need it for life. That's not where life is found. Yes, of course, we need it. Your Father knows you need it. But seek the kingdom... Seek where life is really found. Seek God and his people. Seek him and, and he'll, give you, he'll give you what you need. Yes, sure, of course. But seek the kingdom. It was last week. And we ended there last week in verse 32 talking about this thing that we're supposed to seek, this thing where life is found. Verse 32 says, God wants to give it to you. We're going to pick up right there at 32 and move on to 33 and 34, particularly emphasizing 33 and 34, but I'm going to catch 32 again because 32 is the, the pivot that is meant to be tremendous assurance, reassurance to us, his people. He's speaking to Christians here. And then he pivots it because he doesn't just want to say, this is about relieving your anxiety, the elimination of a negative but it actually positions you with power for a positive, to, to give. So we're going to talk about that this morning as we kind of turn through 32, 3, and 4 from all that God has done to assure us to then what that frees us to do moving outward towards others. 
So we're going to look at this morning, this, this kind of move outward towards others, particularly in the area of, of giving. So I'm going to read the whole passage, beginning in verse 22, to get the context, but I'm just going to be focusing on the last paragraph this morning. This is Luke 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 12. I'm going to make three observations from this passage, particularly focusing on the last paragraph. Here's the first. The God who calls us to give generously is himself the generous one. The God who calls us, he calls us to give generously, he is himself the generous one. He is himself the greatest giver that you've ever heard of and can ever imagine. Now, the verses that we're going to look at, particularly the new ones, 33 and 34 today, contain this clear command about selling and giving. And, of course, we're going to get to that. Kept that for this week. But before we get to that command, we have to consider to, to remember and hopefully be gripped by the context in which he states that command. Because if we miss the context, it is going to sound like straightforward command and burden. Going to sound like a demand laid on us that is difficult, burdensome, maybe even a bit frightening. This is what I have to do sell your possessions and give, literally, it's give alms, give to the poor, give to those who are in need. That's what I have to do. And if that's all we, if we start right there, that sounds pretty clear, pretty, pretty blunt, and it sets us under an obligation, and we probably start figuring out immediately. Okay, how much do I have to sell? In, in what ways? To whom do I have to give? And we start trying to figure out, what do I have to do to fulfill the law? And right there, it should, we should pause. 
When I ask myself, what do I have to do to fulfill the law? I want to like look again and see, am I missing something? Is there something else I need to consider here? And there is a context. Don't read it just as a, a command of obligation. Don't let that come on you and, and create in you a sense of maybe of resentment or fear. It is easy to hear God tell us, give away your stuff and maybe come out of it. See if you come out of it like this. Kind of like that older brother in the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus is going to tell here shortly. I have carefully delineated what I am supposed to do, and I do it because there's a God over me requiring it, and maybe even other people around me keeping track, checking if I've done my tithing. And so I'm, I'm carefully doing it, and I'm smiling about it on the outside, but inside I kind of like resent the fact that I'm being taxed. And frankly, if I read it, taxed at 100%. Sell your possessions and give it away. That's, a, that's kind of a demanding God. And then maybe what that produces in you as you move on past that is not just resentment towards God, but, but a judgmentalism of other people who aren't maybe giving as much as you're giving or aren't working as hard at meeting the requirement as you are. A judgmentalism of them or perhaps a pride if, you, if you're doing well at it and, and can pass the test. Maybe a fear rises in you, because if you actually follow all of that literally, what do you have left? If you gave it all away, what do I have left? Am I supposed to give away? Somebody asked me this last week, in fact, reading ahead. Am I supposed to give away everything? Doesn't that naturally rise in us? And we feel like, if that's what you're going to say, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, because everything is a lot. And it leaves me with little is there any room for enjoying life? If God actually requires that of me, is there any room for like enjoying this life? And if I do it, actually, then what happens when the crisis hits me next month? I'm just throwing out options, all of them negative. Maybe other negative options actually occur to you. But if we view this only as just the command of God to us, we could go sideways in a number of different ways here it hardly positions us to delight in the God who calls us then to give, and it hardly positions us to love other people in giving. Left resentful and afraid. So there's, there's a fair bit of importance here in remembering the context that, that comes behind this, because the command, it, it's for sure right there. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That, that is there. And as we're going to remember here as we go through this, it's not the only time Jesus says this. The command is there. So how do I avoid any one of those negative responses to it in the heart? I remember the context. This is a God who commands us to give, who is himself the generous one. Verse 32 is where we stopped and where we're starting. As I pointed out, nearly every phrase in that sentence seems specifically designed to reassure 
the Christian, of where you stand before God and how he views you, how he is for you. He speaks, Jesus speaks here, strongly intending to reassure you, don't be afraid, little flock. This is a coaxing and a a tender address here. Don't be afraid, little flock. I I know you're vulnerable. I I know there's, there's danger out there. But your father, remember your father, you have a God who is a caring father to you. He is highly delighted. It is his good pleasure. So facing, facing the fear of, remember, they're coming out of the fear of, what, what if I don't have anything? Facing the fear of that. Remember, they're, they're in a crowd of people who are hostile to them. Don't be afraid. You have a caring father who is greatly delighted. It is his good pleasure. That's a statement about God's intention to freely, lavishly give to you. He wants to give to you a gift. In our poverty and in our utter need, the thing that we need, life, that we can't find anywhere on this earth, we can't find it in the accumulation of many possessions, we can't find it in the bare meeting of our needs, we we look for it in all kinds of relationships and in every kind of of opportunity in life. We we attempt to climb up a ladder and, and acquire power, we attempt to build a reputation, we're looking for significance in life, and we can't find it anywhere, we can't make it. And God says, I will give, give to you happily, delightedly, I will give to you the kingdom I want to. And that's where you find life. This that we need, God says he is strongly inclined and eager to bless us with. We who are lost and poor without hope, he gives to us. Please to give us the kingdom. And how does he give us the kingdom? He doesn't give us the kingdom by by some sort of law or by our performance or obedience to the law. He gives us the kingdom by by sovereign, straight-up grace. Grace alone. Not combined with anything that we have done. This is a God who says, I want to give to you life. You can't get it, so I'm going to do everything you need to have happen to get this life, to get this kingdom. I'm going to do it. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to bring you to life. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to give you myself. Eagerly and happily, it is my good pleasure to do so. And then when he gives us this life, this this standing in this this community of, of the kingdom, he then gives us himself to dwell in us day by day by day, and he presses into us his very nature. He presses into us who he is is, his values, his perspectives. He changes us from the inside out. He gives us a new life within, and then as he does that to the people around us in this kingdom, he gives us a new community all around us. This is a giving, giving, giving God. All of that he has done for us in giving us Christ for our sins. This is Jesus who had everything, 
who had, as was prayed earlier, had, had no need of us. But in pure desire, said, I don't need to, I want to. Just because I want to. I want to give to this people myself. Give to this people a new existence forever. And so Jesus comes. And Jesus gives up everything, all of the wealth of heaven that he has, the right to be regarded as honored, the right to be worshipped as God. He humbles himself to death, death on a cross. That we might have life. We who bring nothing to the table, who are the definition of needy. God gives himself, and with himself gives us all other things, including the very food that we need today. He gives us the kingdom and everything. This is a God who is good and who is generous. Who does not just give sparingly, just give minimum. He gives plenty. And to see that context is critical because of what he says next. But would you see that context? Now, I, I recognize, I don't, I don't know everybody here, but I, I know most of you here, and I recognize that you know that. But this, this, must, this must grip us if, if all of the things, all the possessions of the earth that we have, and we have much, if all the possessions that we have are going to be held like this in our hands, not just open-handed, but I'm, I'm doing it like this, tipped over hands, so that they're inclined to run off, you know, to, to run out of our hands. If we're going to hold our possession, not just like this, but like this, this stuff, this context has to grip you. And to see yourself as a recipient of unfathomable wealth given to you by this God. He's not a demanding God. He is not, he is not a, a grudging a, a taskmaster God. And you cannot give yourself into a position of desperation and need. There's nothing to fear here. He has you. You are secure. This should be tremendously hope-giving to you. Fear not, little flock. There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. Okay. So then, here's the command. Second point. Give away what you have in the cause of the kingdom. Give it away. That's amazing. Even as I say that, I'm amazed by that. Give away what you have in the cause of God's kingdom. So there's the context. You have a father who is a marvelous and generous giver. So you have a safe and secure life. And then he says, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Since possessions are irrelevant, life's not found in much, life's not found in little, so you might as well get rid of them. But notice, it's not 
exactly for the sake of just getting rid of stuff. This isn't about the straightforward decluttering of the garage or something like that. It's not, not about a vow of, of poverty. It's for the sake of giving. That's the radical difference in, the, in this passage, in this whole chapter, in fact, the, the great difference. What we've seen before is greed and covetousness in the first man. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can hold on to what's mine. And then in the second man, what we saw in the paragraph we just were looking at, we saw an anxious man worrying about, about getting, about getting, about holding on to because he has, he has need. Both of those are about this, about drawing to myself, about looking at myself, my situation, and drawing things to myself. And the flip here is that Jesus says, seek the kingdom, and with regard for this generous God, looking at him and looking at the needs of others, do this. Push it away. So not looking at myself, gathering it in, but instead looking up and looking out, pushing it onto others. Any and all others? Yes and no. No, because logically, literally, that's impossible. Jesus himself said, the poor we will always have with us. There is no end to crisis, nor just run-of-the-mill need in, in the world. And this is the time of year when you probably have something in your mailbox every day about some great big need to give to. You know, none of those letters that you're receiving in the mail say, here's, here's an option if you've got a few extra dollars. They all say, this is a critical time with a great big need. Every one of them, right? And to some degree, they're probably telling the truth. They probably do have need. And there's no end to it. So if this means that I'm supposed to give to everything and meet every need of every person always, everywhere, that is literally impossible. So it can't mean that. But on the other hand, yes, it does mean any and all others in this way. Do you remember the drumbeat of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? The alarming drumbeat. Love whom? Your enemies. Pray for which group of people? Those who persecute you. Serve and give. The constant, throughout that, that sermon, we, we have the shorter version in Luke. Throughout Luke's version of that sermon, the repeated emphasis is the pray for and serve and love and give to and be kind and merciful to people who hate you, who persecute you, who are your enemies, who will not repay you, who will take from you those ones. Those people. People who are themselves greedy and selfish. People who are themselves do not like you. Give to any and all people, not just other believers, not just nice people, not just your family and friends. 
this is a radical call. And if you think about this from the perspective of, of kingdom come into the world, this is what the world would be so blessed by. There would be a tremendous amount of blessing to the hurting world if the church lived like this. To have a people who love and give to others in need, any and all others. For there to be a, a group of people here who are not greedy and are not selfish, that, that is bread in the world. I mean, the world is full of individualism, and individualism by definition is self-focused. Which is not to say that nobody in the world gives, but people in the world who give don't give sacrificially, don't give to their enemies don't bless and help those who oppose or dislike them. That does not happen. Instead, the world is self-focused or maybe divided into groups of people that are self-identified friend groups, families, clans, tribes, religions, neighborhoods, and needs are met there. Or, or we pass laws. Think about the, the, the growing number of laws in our country designed to help those who are in need. Necessary as those laws may be, I'm not making a political statement here. Necessary as those laws may be, they are an admission of failure. If we can't get a person's needs met by a means other than force, we are admitting failure. We're admitting cultural failure. That's what the world is like. A world that is self-focused or a world that is focused just on, on your own family or your own friends or your own people who like you or a, a world that forces by law that needs be met. But here is something totally unique. The generosity that God calls us to here, here and if you consider the Sermon on the Mount in Luke in general, we'll see another story coming up later where Jesus talks about it again. What's What's Jesus putting before the church here is something totally unique. The generosity that God calls us to is a byproduct only of the gospel. It cannot be any other way than by a byproduct of the grace that the generous God has poured on us and changed us. When we experience the gospel that this generous God has acted on us to give us everything that we need. When we experience, we live in that, it happens to us, and we experience it and really get the first point, are gripped by the first point, then we realize I am, I am safe and secure. I'm content with what I have. I'm content to actually get rid of everything that I have because I don't need it. This God is so good that he has poured on me himself and has given me life in the kingdom. It removes then from me greed and covetousness, seeking life in my possessions and trying to hold on to them. And it removes from me fear about what will happen if I give it all away. And it removes from me grudge towards this God who is demanding of me. And it removes from me judgmentalism of you who aren't doing the right things. The reason you're in need is because you're a failure, not like me. It removes that from me. It removes all of that from me and from you. If you'll be a recipient of the gospel, live in it and understand. This is who God is, this generous God who's given to me. 
It makes me content, content enough to give away, not just to my friends and not just to the body, particularly the body, yes, especially those of the household of faith, but not only them. We do good to all, even to the enemies who hate us. We give to need, not to niceness. We give to express love, not to be loved. Do we sometimes say no? Of course. You can't give to everything always. Of course. And there is a wisdom component that's, that's laced into every opportunity to give. Absolutely, yes. What I'm emphasizing here is a God-created, gospel-created stance of generosity like this that is very, very, very unhuman as humans are today. That only comes about in us as we are changed by the gospel of grace. It is very much unlike people, but it is very much like our generous Father who gave us Christ and gave us life by his Spirit now. This is what God is like and what he wants us to be like to the world that's all around us. It would be love to them. It would be blessing to them. And it would be testimony to them about who God actually is. Ever since the beginning, Genesis 3, there has been a lie laced into the human mind. You can hear it in, in that quote in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Did God really say? God's trying to, to rip you off. And in fact, it's the opposite. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, of this, remember this of our Father? He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, merciful to those who don't deserve it. God is generous even with those who are enemies of his, and he wants people to know that about him. He's not there to rip them off. He's there to give. How will they know that? From us, his people. He makes us like this as a testimony to the world. To, it's, it's the way that he advances the kingdom into the world to show that this is a generous God who wants to give Christ to people to save them. And he shows that by, by making a people who live like Acts 2, and 2, 3, 4, who don't consider their possessions their own. You can read about this in Acts 4. Don't, don't consider anything that they have their own, but consider it to be ours for the meeting of our needs. In the body, certainly, and also outside of the body. You read through church history and you realize Christians essentially created the idea of public charity. You can read quotes of astonishment from the Romans that the Christians cared not only for their own poor, but for ours too. Who does that? A people who, by their God, are made to be like their God. 
generous and gracious and giving. A testimony to the world. Doing good to the world, but a testimony to the world. This is what God is like. Come meet him. As we live like that, we are expressing the kingdom. We are being the kingdom amidst this fallen kingdom. So what do you, what, how, how do you move towards that? There's a lot of theory there. Well, there are some clear, obvious ways. Give more. But before that, let me say, if you focus only on giving more and miss the first point, it will grow in you resentment, and you might eventually feel a little frustrated with me that I twisted your arm here this morning to give more. So the first thing you do before you give more is you go back to the first point and say, am I actually amazed at the generosity of God towards me, a man in need, towards me, a woman in need, towards me, a teenager in need, desperate? Am I actually amazed at that? Go back to the first point. The one who called you to give is himself the generous one. So I think you move towards this by first setting your mind on this God who gives to you and seeking to be generous in any and every situation. So it doesn't, I think, for me at least, it doesn't first involve finding someone to need. It first involves being free with my stuff. And people in need will come along. So I find myself applying this by being free with people just as they come to me. Even if, as I stop and think about it, he probably has plenty of money. But at the moment right now, while we're standing here buying coffee, I'll treat. That's not exactly responding to need, but I find it helpful for me because it's letting go of my money. And that letting go of my money, finding it helpful, actually is going to take us into the third point here, which I'm going to briefly consider. But focus, if you're going to move towards becoming this person who gives away what you have for the sake of the kingdom, first focus on the generous God, and then focus on generosity. And I think what happens is that God will bring need across your path and say, there, that one, there, that one. Here's the third point to consider. This will be short. This sort of giving helps set our hearts and therefore points our lives heavenward. This sort of generous giving helps set our hearts and therefore points our lives heavenward. After the sentence of command in verse 33, Jesus gives a figurative command, which is a really just a colorful way of elaborating on what he just said. It's kind of like if I were to say something like, switching the context here, if I were to say something like, buy a house, that's a command, next command, add a mortgage to your budget and a never-ending to-do list to your schedule. I've just restated what the first thing is. I didn't really mean for you to, the goal is not to add a mortgage. I'm just saying, 
the same thing in a different way. Here's the effect of that. So what he's saying, sell and give away, that is, let me put it differently, more colorfully, get for yourself a secure bank account filled with a safe, secure, never failing, never going away, never lost treasure. Sell your stuff here, give it away, that is, get a secure bank account over here and stock it up with stuff that's never going away. Will never fail. And why do you want that? Verse 34. For, because, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, try to follow this here. This is, this is, I found this a little bit trickier than I thought it was going to be when I was looking at this. Give your earthly treasure to the needy in the cause of the kingdom. That is to gain for yourself heavenly treasure. We could pause right there because, pause right there before verse 34 because that right there is something to grab a hold of and to think about and to chase. To gain for yourself heavenly treasure. Eternal treasure reward, commendation from God your Father in heaven where it lasts forever. This Again, Jesus said the very same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Repeatedly talked about, and your reward in heaven will be great. And, and we talked about that. What, what does that mean? What is the reward in heaven? Well, to make a long story short, I don't know. But I know that God is a good rewarder and would know exactly what would be rewarding to me forever. And he says he's going to give me a lot of that. So, okay. Chase that. Sell your possessions and give to those in need and store up for yourself great reward in heaven. That's awesome. Do that. God is, is laying in front of us a, a great big carrot and trying to lure us. Give away the stuff you can't keep anyway to gain the stuff you can't lose. Do that. You'll enjoy it. I can't go into details what it is. You'll love it. And I believe him. So believe him and chase that reward. But that's not actually where Jesus stops. He goes on one step further and gives us a reason in verse 34 that I think is trying to alert us to to a a loop about how our hearts work. I said earlier that it's helpful for me to, to, to be like this, and I think this is why. Verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He wants us to think about giving like this, giving generously, giving to those in need, because it gets our hearts into the heavenlies. Our hearts, biblically speaking. So not our heart like we sometimes think of it like our, just our affections, what we love. But our hearts, biblically speaking, the control center of us. 
what drives us, what gives direction to us. So what he's telling us is our hearts will go in the direction of what we value, in the direction of our valuables. If our treasure is in heaven, our heart will go there too, which means our lives will go heavenward. Our hearts direct what we think about, what we, what we do. The decisions that we make, the actions that we take come from the heart. And if our hearts are in heaven, then all of our life, not just our money, but all of our life will be directed heavenward. So what Jesus is telling us here, as I've kind of thought through this little loop, resonates with how I live. See if it resonates with how you live. That as I carry on like, like this with, my, with my, my wealth open, my hands open, I find I have a looser grip on this world and I'm more thinking about, more inclined towards the next. There's something that develops in me, that grows in me there. Concrete example. If I get a tax return and truth in advertising here. Today we're giving, we're, we're receiving an offering for Resurrection Bible Church now and one around tax return time. Those times were chosen on purpose. If I receive a tax return in April or wherever, and my first thought is, here's the chance to buy X. Well, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But if my treasure, if what I am valuing is in the heavens and my heart is drawn to that there in the heavens and my first thought instead is, here's a chance to give to Resurrection Bible Church, what I will find is that my life, my heart, is moved away from the need for whatever I thought I actually needed and more towards the consideration of, in this case, a church and, and a work in, in Ukraine. More towards the kingdom. There's something about where my treasure is and, and where I am investing that pulls my heart and therefore pulls all of my life. And I will find I'm, I'm less hooked on the TV or the sofa that I didn't buy and more interested in what's going on in Ukraine. And that is going to bring me into closer communion with God, God's people, God's mission, just in general. And that will then have an impact on how I live all the rest of my life. There's, there's a, I'm using the word a loop. Maybe there's a cycle here. My life, your life, will be pulled in a direction depending on what you treasure, what you value. So consider heavenly reward. And consider heavenly reward, considering heavenly reward grows as we put our money there. We invest our money there. This kind of giving grows in us heavenward hearts and heavenward lives. 
So God, who is generous, calls us to be generous for the sake of the world, for the sake of himself and and the testimony of himself in the world, and lastly, I, I think, for the sake of us. This is an antidote to world looking, to world living, is to give away the stuff of the world. It'll draw us into the heavenlies, which is something that you really do want to receive. A Godward life. It is a delight to you, and that's what your Father wants to give to you. He wants to give you the kingdom. Seek it. And in part, seek it by giving away the stuff of earth. Let me pray. Father, will you move us? Will you move us to be a generous people like you are a generous God? And in that, will you use us? Will you use us to bless the world and to give testimony to those around us of, of your goodness? And will you grow us in that process? To free us from the things of earth, to free us from them, from a bondage to them, and to bind us to the things of heaven, to bind us to yourself. Would you promise that you will give us everything that we need today and tomorrow? So I ask you to do that. And I recognize that as I preach about giving, selling what we, what we have and giving it away, that, that some of us here have much and some of us here have little. Speak to each person. Speak reassurance and speak freedom. Speak graciously to each person. Some of us here are unwilling to give. Speak to that. Confront that and loosen it. Lord, you know what we are. You know where we are. You know what we need. So please speak to us. Build us up and make us like you. In this way, make us generous like you. Thank you, Father, for being the God who gave us your Son and gave us life in him. Use us then to bring more life to the world and to bring honor to your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.